If you have your Bibles, open them up. We're ready for um, Matthew chapter 7. We finished verse 20 last week, but we're going to go back to verse 13 and kind of pick up this last section of the Sermon on the Mount um, by way of review. Now, where we've come from on the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 6 is basically um, how do we practically live as Christians? So what we've been walking through the last couple weeks is what Jesus said is practical Christian living. You guys remember what they were really simply, right? They were as Christians that we pray and Jesus said when you pray and then Jesus said when you give and we talked about giving and what Jesus talked about and then when you Fast, so fasting, praying, and giving were um, practical Christian living things that were covered, that Jesus covered in chapter 6. Along with that, how we serve, that you can't serve two gods, um, both God and mammon, you'll love one and you'll hate the other. Um, Praying, uh, giving, fasting, serving. And now we get into chapter 7 and we come to a different Um, heart of the Sermon on the Mount. And this one is about choices. And Jesus is going to lay out in chapter 13 and verse 13 and 14, um, basically a choice that every believer or every person on planet earth has to make. You know, one of the things that happens and that one of the things that we as Christians, if you're like me um, and, you know, evangelical Christian, you believe what Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse six. You believe what this is literal here, what Jesus said in uh, verses 13 and 14, that there's only one way to heaven. And that's through Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. And no man comes to the father except through me. Here he says there's two gates. There's a narrow gate and few will go in and there's a broad gate and many will go down. I shared with you guys last week a little exchange between um, one of our senators and one of our pastors in in the United States having this tweet war last week because the pastor's opinion is that the only way to salvation is through Jesus, faith in Jesus alone. And so, again, it's something that uh, the world is going to accuse us of of being bigoted or narrow-minded or, you know, single-tracked. And I want to tell you that on that front that I am... Well, I'm none of those things, but I am narrow-minded. And this side of salvation is, is very, you know, Jesus said, whosoever. Who's included in the whosoever's? Everybody. Jesus said, whosoever would believe, receive everlasting life. Very inclusive. On the other side of eternity, very exclusive. Members only club. And so absolutely that it's exclusive on the other end. And so... Um, Let's let's look at what Jesus said here. He said, enter by the narrow gate in verse 13. And he said, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. Oh, by the way, um, if you don't have a Bible, um, uh, Mike's back there. Mike, do you have some loaner Bibles? I know sometimes it's going to be embarrassing. You've got to raise your hand for a Bible, but we don't mind. We want you to have one. There's a couple things I want you to turn with me in today that, that I think is important. I'd like for you to read it for yourself out of the Word of God. So if you don't have a Bible. The other thing is if you have a smartphone, um, the, the Bible app that, that, that I use, that I like, a lot of us use, is called Version, Y-O-U Version Bible app. And so it's, it's pretty comprehensive. I use the New King James Version Bible. That's the one I'm reading out of. So if you're trying to follow along, you can download a New King James Version op the version app and it's quick you can find the, the nice thing about using an app is you can you know get to the scriptures quicker than than turn in there so again jesus said and then in verse 14 jesus said because narrow is the gate how is the gate narrow, narrow 
and narrows the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and few find it. So Jesus said it's narrow and it's difficult. Now, one of the things is, right, you know, basically, he said few will find it. So there's two gates. One leads to destruction and one leads to life. So in other words, one leads to heaven and the other leads to hell, right? That's what we're talking about. That's what Jesus is talking about, right? So listen, the context of of this passage, of this section from verse 13 to the end of the chapter is in the context of salvation. It's important that you know that. It's important that you, we understand that. He's going to talk about fruit, but he's talking about fruit of the difference, and he's going to use analogies. One of the analogies is there's two soils. There's two fruits. There's good fruit. There's bad fruit. There's two kinds of people. One people that do works and another one that know him. There's um, two soils. There's a good soil and there's a rocky soil. I mean, there's a, a solid rock and a sandy soil, and each one represents a decision in the rest of this chapter that one is heaven and one is hell. You know, in, in John chapter 15, when Jesus says, abide in me, and then he gives an, and he says that the purpose of you abiding is to bear fruit. And if you, if you don't bear fruit, then, then the branch is cut off and it's thrown out in the street and it's trampled and it's burnt with fire. But in, in the John 4, 15 verse, he's not talking about heaven and hell. That's a different that's, that's different. So, so it is important as we're going through the words of Jesus, understanding there's sometimes where he's talking to believers and disciples. And now he's talking about fruit. He's talking about you're already a believer and these are things in your life that I can't use, that I don't want. But in this particular case here in John chapter 7, he's talking to a general audience and it is pertaining to heaven and hell. It is pertaining to um, life and death. Now, hell is not something that, you know, is real popular these days to talk about in church. You know, you talk too much about hell and nobody comes back. You know, you want to tickle their ears so it feels good and, and, they, and they, they, they like what they hear. But the reality is, the truth is, that, that hell is a reality. Jesus talked more about hell than he did about so many other topics. You know, you, you, people that say, is there a hell? Well, Jesus believed there was a hell and that's good enough for me. And Jesus said, many will go there. And, and, and the idea is that if we're not honest... You know, my fear is that, you know, that, that people will or that will give some false sense of salvation. That, that you, you know, you come to church that makes you a Christian, that makes you saved. You know, my other fear on the other side of that, or the other, the other mistake would be, you know, people that are saved. You're born again. You're a believer in Jesus Christ to, to create some fear in you like you're not going to heaven. That's not biblical or healthy either. You know, within Christianity... It's the only religion, it's the only, and I hate to even use the word religion, it's the only truth, and it is the truth of Jesus, that can provide for you uh, eternal security, assurance of salvation. No matter where, what, I mean, everything else that's out there that you subscribe to besides faith in Jesus alone for salvation, you don't know on your deathbed whether you're going to heaven or not, because there, every one of them is a works-based system. You don't know if you did enough works. You don't know if, and, and when you just believe by faith alone and receive Jesus, you can know that you know that you know you're saved. John tells us, First John, the beloved disciple, he gives us that assurance. And he tells us, the Bible tells us in First John, that as a believer, you can know that you're saved. You know, but again, if, if I asked everybody right now, don't do it, this is just for fun, you know, how many of you guys are going to heaven? 
You know, don't put your hands up, right? I'm assuming that if we actually did it, everybody would raise their hand. I mean, there might be one person who's going through it right now. And they're like, oh, I don't know. I might be going, you know, but nobody wants to believe that, that you're going to hell. You're going, we're all, we're all going to heaven. You know what? We, we could go out in the streets and we could ask people maybe that in our opinion are not such righteous people or good people. And you'd ask them, are you going to heaven? They, they want to believe they're going to heaven, right? Would you guys agree or not? People, don't, nobody wants to go to bed at night thinking, oh, I'm terrible, I'm going to hell. I say, and, and if you ask them why, what will they say? Usually it's because they're a good person. And obviously, it's, well, I'm a good person, a good, good old boy upstairs. He, he knows me, he's going to understand me. And, and, and you know what? Jesus is going to deal with that in this chapter. And, and he's going to make it really clear. And so again, I want us to be sure that we're saved. I want us to have that assurance and rest in it and know it and not have any fear in, in what happens to us when we die. And I also want us to know that we know. And Jesus is, again, he's going to deal with it. So, but narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to it. So part of, part of salvation is narrow and difficult. You know, yeah, you want to be a Christian, Satan's going to come after you. Well, no, duh. It's difficult. It's supposed to be difficult. Does that take away from my, my yoke is easy and my burden is light? Jesus said that about you, about your walk, about your life. I'll take care of you. I'll provide for all of your needs. All of those things are true, but there is a difficulty in walking with the Lord. There, there is a difference of, of the, the, the life that, that's hard to find. Now, real quick, I don't have a lot of time, but there's something I want to introduce. Some of you have heard me teach this before, so you know it if you've been to church here for a while, but maybe there's some of you that haven't. But basically on the narrow road and the broad road, there's two kingdoms, only two in the world. There's the kingdom of God and there's the kingdom of God. There's a kingdom of, of God with the big G, the one and only God. And then there's Satan is called a God in the Bible is also little G. Now, the, the, the Satan's road here, according to Jesus in verse 13 and 14 is what? It's broad. Okay, it's wide. It has many lanes. Jesus's road is what? narrow. So on that broad road that, that Satan can put you on that leads to where does Satan's road lead? Destruction. Or in other words, basically let's just identify the elephant in the room. It's talking about hell. So the broad road that leads to hell is, is broad and has many lanes. The, the, the road that leads to heaven is narrow. Now, um, in Genesis chapter six, we find, um, a guy by the name of Nimrod. And in Genesis chapter 6, it's the first religious system that, that's organized religious system against God. We, got, we start with Adam and Eve in the garden. By the time we get to Genesis chapter 6, Satan has organized his first organized um, religion that's anti-God. What did, what did Nimrod do? Does anybody know what Nimrod's famous for? He built the Tower of Babel. And shortly after, what does God do? confuses the languages, you know, the, the flood and God, God kills everybody, drowns everybody on planet earth. You know, people say, Oh, God is such a God of love. And, and he is, but God is a God of wrath. God can be a God of judgment, a God of justice. You know, you don't believe it again. You, you start in, in Genesis and you read this, this book and you only got to get to Genesis chapter six before God drowns the whole human race. And then, and then not long after he comes to Egypt and he tells Pharaoh that, that if you don't play ball, I'm going to kill all the firstborn, firstborn children in all of Egypt. And he does, kills all the firstborn in Egypt. And you think, oh, that's the God of the Old Testament. Well, let me take you to Revelation and we'll read what the God of the New Testament does to show you 
that in God's judgment and wrath in the book of Revelation, that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And it's the same God. And yes, he's a God of love. And, and, and you should be secure in God's love and in God's mercy and God's grace. But he's also a God of wrath and a God of justice. And, he's gonna, and, he, and he tells us here that there's two roads, one broad, one narrow. Now, in Genesis chapter 6, this fellow named Nimrod, he's, he's a type of Satan, and, and he really is inspired um, by Satan. He begins this first um, uh, false religious system. It's called um, the Babylonian religion. Now, this, this red scarlet thread starts in Genesis chapter 6, and it runs throughout all of human history, and it's going to come to an end in Revelation chapter 18. In the, in the middle to the end of the seven-year tribulation period, God is finally, it's, it's, Satan has been running wild and broadening his broad way all these years um, under this Babylonian religious system that Nimrod started, that Satan started um, under it. And it doesn't matter, again, Satan doesn't care what lane he has you on. I'm a good person. Uh, I'm, I'm, I belong to a false religion. I belong to this. I belong to that. There's so many lanes on his, on his broad road that he doesn't care which one he puts you on. You can change all the time. As long as he can do what? Keep you off of the road that Jesus laid out. The, the way of salvation that God lays out, which is a free gift. Because, because what you deserve, Jesus paid. Because what you deserved, God placed upon his own son in your place. And all Satan has to do is keep you off. And so um, turn with me, if you will, real quick. I want you to see this in Revelation chapter uh, 17 in verse number 6. No, not 16. In verse number 5 of Revelation 17, it says, Mystery Babylon, the great, the mother of harlots and of the abomination of the earth. When you find chapter 17, you'll find those big, bold words. So this mystery Babylon. Mystery Babylon is this false religious system that's, that's the broad road that Satan has set up that's run throughout all of human history, wreaking havoc. And, and then in chapter 18 of Revelation, just look over at verse number two, and it says, and he cried mightily with a loud voice saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison of every foul spirit, and a cage for the unclean and the hated. Babylon is fallen. And so God is going to defeat once and for all this Babylonian religious system in Revelation chapter 18. You know, some people say, well, well not some people, I'm sorry. Revelation says in the tribulation period that we're going to have a one world religion under a guy that the, that the book of Revelation describes as the false prophet. So we have the Antichrist and his right hand man. The Antichrist is handling government issues and, and, and other issues. And the false prophet is handling religious issues after the rapture of the church. And, and, and for so many years, we've always speculated what is going to be this false religious system that the world is going to adhere to during the tribulation period. And, you know, I remember when I was first in Bible college, the, the, the Catholic Church and some of its wings and the power of the Catholic Church that it wielded to this day. You know, if the Catholic Church were a country, I think it would be like the seventh largest financial holding in the world or sixth or something if just the, the, the Vatican itself was a country. And so super powerful and super influential over the last, you know, for so many years, that's, that's all we had is they dominated. And then that, that was kind of the idea for a while. And then 10 years ago, Islam was on the rise and the West was really becoming aware of the, 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 
had the size of Islam growing and the, the fastest growing religion in the world and taking over and thinking, man, how could, how could a one world government um, not include Islam? It has to be Islam because it's so big and so prevalent. And, um, but I believe that, that the, the one world religion that, that's going to happen, first of all, it's supernatural. The false prophet that Satan is going to raise up is supernatural. And I think that it's, it's going to be a new system that is going to somehow encompass all of them. And it's not going to matter if you're left here and if you're, you know, from Twila, Utah, or you're from Tehran, Iran, you know, there's some system, there's some lie that's going to encompass everything. And the, you know, even, even our Pope today, you guys, our Pope just this week, and he has for the last year comes out with different statements that, 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 you know, we're all together. We all serve the same God. We all have the same ideas and that Islam and Christians and Catholics, that it's all done Jews. And, you know, we should just all come together under one banner and, and this prevailing, prevailing idea of this ecumenical system that the Pope is behind now. He met with a, with a homosexual man this week and, and, and the Pope told him that he was born that way and it was okay and that God loved him. And that, um, you know, President Bush, remember President Bush, when he was in office, he said that the Christians and the Muslims worship the same God. They call it Chrislam. They're trying to merge, which it's just not true. We don't serve the same God. But, but that idea is going to encompass, I think, in those days, that one world religion is going to be something along those lines that's going to include everybody. And again, it's going to have a supernatural power um, once the, the, the Holy Spirit and the power of the church has been removed during those days. Okay, so that has nothing to do with my sermon today, but it was kind of fun to talk about for a minute. Um, the point being this, that, that that religious system that Jesus is talking about in verse 13 and 14 is a broad road. And, and there's lots of lanes on it. And it's just true that it is a narrow road um, that, that leads to salvation. And so um, let's move on. In verse number um, 15, again, now another illustration. We're talking about salvation in context, okay? But Jesus does give us a warning. In verse 15, look what it says. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or fig trees from thistles? Even so, every tree bears, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, and therefore by their fruits you'll know them. So a couple, couple topics here, but the first one I'm gonna, I want to just make sure that we're aware of as a church is that Jesus warns here in verse 15 to do what? Is that Jesus talking, warning you? Okay, so, there, so Jesus is warning you that, that there will arise false prophets. John, the revelator, who was Jesus' bestie, he was the one who laid on Jesus' bosom at the Last Supper, who Jesus said he was the beloved disciple. John, who wrote the Gospel of John, the book of Revelation, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. He tells us in chapter 4 of 1st John, he says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit. What? You're not supposed to believe every spirit? No, you're not. But test the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This Jesus tells us, John tells us, the Old Testament tells us, the New Testament tells us, listen, Christians, beware of false prophets. That's wisdom from God. And they're going to arise up. 
I, I saw a stat, it was old, it was 1990. So who knows what that number is today? But a pastor quoted a stat that in 1990, in the day day he was quoting that stat, there was 1,100 people on planet Earth on that day that were saying they were Jesus. You know, I didn't didn't believe it, you know, really, totally. And so, but I went online and I did a little research and I found multiple today. The one one I was watching, I think the, the gentleman just passed away, but he was in a Latin American country. His group, um, he gets them to tattoo 666 on him because they're not afraid that it's some weird thing. And, you know, and he claims to be Jesus and they follow him and he's a false prophet. You know, Jesus said, beware of false prophets in sheep's clothing. Some of these guys aren't in sheep's clothing. They look like wolves and people are still following him, you know, but this guy claims to be Jesus. And unfortunately, there's been no discerning that he's a false prophet and many people have followed him. And so um, there's, there's false prophets everywhere. I want to side note, let me rabbit trail for a minute. You are accountable for having and knowing what's true in your life. If, if I deceive you and I've been deceiving you as long as you're here and I continue to deceive you with bad doctrine and false words and then you do bad stuff because this is what I've taught you and you believe something that's wrong and that's a lie and then you go to heaven and you stand before God and you say, well, I, I was deceived by that Pastor Chris at that Calvary Chapel. Now, I'm going to be accountable for, for what I've done, but I'm not going to be standing next to you on that day. You're, you're not going to have the excuse that I deceived you. You're, you're responsible. Are you catching this? You're responsible to have good doctrine. You're responsible to know what's true because you have God's word. You have the Lord Jesus Christ. God's filled you with this Holy Spirit. And he expects you to test these things. Test what I say. Test what you hear. Check it with the word of God. Know that it's true. Go and read the words in red. You're not sure about heaven and hell today? Go and read what, just what Jesus said. I guarantee you, I, I, had, I had someone challenge me to do this. Start and just read the words of red in the New Testament. It would take you a couple hours. You'd have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Revelation, and a few sporadic things throughout. But just read the words of Jesus. This is heaven and hell, and, and people won't even take the two hours to read it. But go and read just the words of Jesus. And, and, and does it sound like the sermons that are being preached in our pulpits today Probably not. I think Jesus was, I don't know that, you know, I, again, Jesus is a God of love, but he told the truth and he told it in such a way. Jesus didn't come to draw a crowd and tickle people's ears. And he, he came to love them and make sure that they knew what, what was right and what was true. But again, there is a responsibility to not be deceived by false doctrine, right? So I'm encouraging you guys, get in the word, read the word, be in the word of God, read the word, know those things. Now there's a, there is, um, biblically, there's a function for, uh, for me to be taught by a pastor, for you guys to be taught by a pastor, for, for there to be instruction in our life. We instruct each other. That's all good and rightfully so. And, and it's, it's the way God laid it out for us to learn. I'm not saying that nobody, I, I do it, believe me. All the sermons and stuff that you guys hear, I stole it from somebody else this week, you know. I mean, and I just give it to you guys. But I mean, and then, you know, but so we, I learn, you guys learn it's function. But again, knowing those things, because you're a Berean, you test those things, you know if they're true. Here's a couple of things the Bible tells us about how to test the false prophet. But I, I, again, I want to encourage you guys. 
um, you should you should know these things. There there was a false prophet in in a Christian church recently um, by a guy by the name of Harold Camping, who we've identified today as a false prophet, and he came out and he said he set dates when Jesus was going to come back. He's based out of the East Coast somewhere. One guy had a retirement that was worth $400,000. He cashed in his retirement because he believed that Harold Camping was a true prophet and Jesus was coming back. He bought billboard signs and posted them all over New York City, warning folks that Jesus was coming back on such and such a date. Cashed in his retirement because he wasn't going to need it. And then that day came and gone and Jesus didn't come back. And a lot of people got disappointed, but, but they didn't use the test of testing a false prophet or a true prophet. They could have known from the word of God that, that, that his doctrine is false because it doesn't line up with the word of God. And Jesus told us no man knows the day or the hour. But here's what the Bible says about testing false prophets. I got I to gotta keep moving on this. Um, Deuteronomy 18. I want you to turn there with me really quick. Deuteronomy 18, verse number 20. Deuteronomy 18, 20. Matt, uh, I was going to say Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's not going to work. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. 1820, but the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how shall I know the word which the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not happen or come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. That prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. He's not from the Lord. So if he prophesies and it doesn't come true, that, that he's, he, the prophecy didn't come from the Lord is, is a test in Deuteronomy. In the New Testament, it tells us in Galatians chapter 1, verse 8, that one of the um, the test for, for is, is what do they teach? He says, if, if someone comes and gives you any other gospel, even an angel of light, Paul says, let him be what? Accursed. The word cursed in the Greek is ananthema. Ananthema is, is the strongest form of curse. Basically, it, it's our version of go to hell or condemn to hell. Paul says, if anybody comes preaching another gospel, even an angel of light, let him be ananthema, cursed to hell. And so the sign of a false prophet is if they have, if they have doctrine that, that doesn't line up with the word of God, the Bible tells us. Um, Jeremiah tells us um, how they live. And because and, Jesus tells us you'll know them by their what? Their fruits. And so the fruit in somebody's life, you know, somebody who leads. And, you know, have you guys heard of a guy named Benny Hinn? Anybody know that name? He's a TV evangelist who goes all over the world doing these phony healing crusades. He, he's been on 2020 and 60 minutes investigated twice for fraudulent, illegal things. He's worth millions and millions and millions of dollars. He lives in a house that's 20,000 square foot and on 20 acres and gated with swimming pools and an and a airplane strip where he can land his private jet. Okay, so maybe his lifestyle, you know, by his fruits, you'll know him. You can tell that he's a false prophet because of how he lives and Jeremiah tells us that in verse chapter 23. And then um, Paul tells us in Acts, or I'm sorry, Luke wrote Acts. In Acts chapter 20 in verse 30, one of the signs of a false prophet is that they, they draw disciples unto themselves. So any pastor, teacher, person, if, if, if you need them, if, they're, if there's some kind of authority figure in your life to get to God, 
and that they limit your access to God and you have to come through them, that's drawing disciples unto yourself. And I guarantee you, I'd never want to be in those shoes. And, and, I, and it's one of the, it's one of the um, things that as pastors, you have to be on your guard for as any kind of leader. You know, when you lead, when you, when you pastor is that, you know, you don't want to teach in such a way. You don't want to create a, an idea that people need you. One of the things that, one of the red flags that I have when I'm listening to other pastors and, and teachers, I can remember when um, I was listening to some prophecy updates and it was, it was done in such a way like, it was like I, I, like, I had to know what this guy knew in order to know prophecy and I was so hooked in. And then at the end of his message, he was like, for ninety nine ninety nine, I'll send you my package. And I was like, oh, I gotta have it. Like, I needed it. I was like, and then I was like, oh, stop. All right, right there, it's a flag. He's drawing disciples unto himself. When I feel that way, I can just let it go. Like, I don't need that. I have God, I have the Holy Spirit. You don't need anybody. You don't need me. You don't need a priest. You have access to the throne of God. Do you realize that? What happened when Jesus died on the cross at three o'clock? The veil of the temple ripped from top to bottom, 18 inches thick, giving you as much access as Billy Graham or the Pope or anybody. As I said, the Pope, the current LDS president of the church, you have just as much access to God as Mother Teresa or anybody else. You've been invited to come into the presence of God and, and, and have access for yourself. And so where are we? All right. So that was um, drawing disciples unto yourself. So you don't do anything to draw disciples unto yourself. People don't need me. They don't need you. They don't need a priest. Um, again, I'm here. I serve a function. I have a call of God on my life. That, that's, that's one of the gifts of the body of Christ. We all possess different gifts and do different things within the church. Um, I just happen to be the obnoxious mouthpiece, but um, definitely don't need me for nothing. And then he goes on and it says, uh, oh, couple of, one more thing. Uh, greed for money. And then, you know, if, if uh, one of the, the decrees was because in the early days, a lot of the, the prophets and the pastors and the teachers, they traveled a lot. And so they had a rule book for itinerant preachers and pastors in the early days that would give the rules to know if a guy was a true prophet or a false prophet. And one of the rules was that if he called for the church to make a big meal and then he partook of it, he was a false prophet. So he could, he could order a big meal, but he just couldn't eat it. Because <laughs> then, you know, he maybe was going around for meals or something. And if, and if he came in and he was greedy for money, it was a sign he was a false prophet. But bottom line, just being this, you guys, we, we have tests to, to, to check and see if somebody's a true or false prophet. Amen? So if Harold Camping comes to your house tomorrow and says, hey, I, I want you to cash in your retirement because I know when Jesus is going to come back, you're not going to fall for it, right? You're going to know. You're going to know. And then um, la- last thing I want to talk to you guys about, uh, about the, the office of a prophet. Maybe two more things because I think it's an important topic for us here. Turn with me, if you will, to First um, Kings chapter 17. Hold a finger there. I'll let you find that. Um, you know, if, if someone carries the title of a Christian leader or a prophet, you know, sometimes don't we assume that we can trust them? Right. If someone's a prophet or a leader or, you know, um, we, we assume we can trust them. There, there's a story in the Old Testament of a, a prophet of God named Balaam. Now, Balaam was approached by a pagan king named Balak, very similar names. And Balak came to Balaam and he said, I want you to curse the, the nation of Israel for me. And Balaam said, OK, let me go ask God if I can do that. So no kidding, they read the story. So, so Balaam goes and he says, God, can I curse the people of Israel? And God says, no. And so Balaam goes back to the Balak, the king, and he says, he says Balak, um, God said no. 
And Balak the king said, Balaam, you're a moron. I have donkeys loaded with gold that I could pay you. And Balaam says, oh, you do? Let me go ask him again. So Balaam goes back and he asks God again and God says no. And then same thing happens. And then he goes back and then, and then God says to Balaam, go. Now, let me tell you something. If God says to you, no, 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 go. That's like when your wife and you've asked your wife three times if you could go play golf on Saturday. And she's already told you she's not crazy about it. And then she says, fine. You're going to play golf? Fine. You know, you know what that means, right? So God tells Balaam, go. So Balaam gets on his donkey and he's headed towards Israel to curse him. And, and the donkey stops and won't go. And he starts hitting the donkey, telling him to go. And the donkey starts talking to him. You know this story? It's in the Bible. If you haven't read it yet, you think I'm crazy, but it's in the Bible. The donkey starts, you know, that's not the craziest part of the story. The craziest part of the story is that Balaam starts talking back to the donkey. And the donkey's like, what are you hitting me for? Haven't I been a good donkey to you all these years? And, and so God put an angel in the road with a sword and he was going to kill Balaam. And the donkey could see the angel, but Balaam couldn't. And the, and the donkey stopped so that the angel wouldn't kill Balaam. And the donkey was saving his life. The donkey was smarter than Balaam, this prophet. So he gets to his destination. He's on a mountain. He's overlooking the camp of Israel. And in, the, in those days, the way God laid out the camp of Israel, according to their tribes, it would have been in the perfect shape from an aerial view of a cross. And Balaam begins to, to prophesy over the, over the people of Israel and read the prophecy of Balaam. It is beautiful. Just blessing Israel's socks off. And Balak is getting more and more angry with Balaam because he won't um, b- curse the people. And he says, I tried, man. I want that money so bad. I tried, I tried. And only blessing comes out. And then, and then we have what's called the doctrine of Balaam. So Balaam then tells Balak, listen, I can't curse God's people. But God will have to curse them if you can get them to sin against God. So have your young women dress scantily and, and go through the camp of Israel and entice the men to, to sleep with them. And then if the men are fornicating and cheating on their wives and, and having sex outside of marriage, then God will have to deal with his people over this issue. So that's what Balak did. He sent the ladies through the camp of Israel and that's exactly what happened. And then God had to deal with the sin of his people and cursed them. Now, Balaam you know what he's called through the whole story in that, in that whole thing? The prophet of God. He's a prophet. Does that automatically just make him trustworthy? That's my point. It, it doesn't, if he doesn't fit all the tests. And listen, let me tell you something about Balaam. Balaam at one point was probably a real righteous person and did well and meant well and was used by God or he would have never got the title prophet. But he was human like you and I and like anybody in skin and had the ability to fall into the flesh. And when he got offered this money, he took it. Now, now one more story. I don't have time to unpack this one, but along the same lines, I just, I think it's important that you guys see this just again, so that we know as Christians that we have to test these things. Um, But in first Kings chapter 17, it's not for, it is. How come I can't find it? I'm sorry. First Kings 13. 13. First Kings 13. Now, I, I don't have time to unpack this story, but look, look at verse number 18. And it says, he said to them, he said to him, I too am a prophet as you are. What does the next verse say, you guys? What does the next line say? 
an angel, stop, and an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord. So I'm just going to tell you really quickly what's going on here in verse 18. There's a young prophet who's come into town. God called a young prophet and he said, I want you to go to that town and give a prophecy. And then I want you to turn tail and head back to where you came from. Don't stop and have dinner. Don't stop and talk to anybody. You're not allowed. Go deliver the prophecy and get out of there. So the young prophet, he goes and does exactly what he's supposed to do. He gives the prophecy and he turns to, to, to be obedient to the Lord. And that brings us to verse 18 in this, um, what's described as an old prophet, older in age. So we have a, a two, two guys used of God, one who's younger in age, one who's older. The older gentleman stops him and he says, hey, come into my house and have dinner. And the young man says, man, I can't do that. God specifically told me to go, not to eat, not to stay and get back. And the old man says, the old prophet, because he's a little bit more going on in the story that I'm trying to speed through. He's motivated because the king wants him to get the young man because the young man came and gave a, a, a judgment prophecy over that king and over that area. And so the old prophet, who's being kind of like Balaam paid by the king, he's trying to get the young prophet to stay. So he tells him, listen, I'm also a prophet, which he was. And an angel of the Lord came to me and told me that you can stay and have dinner. Now, now look, at, um, look at the rest of verse 18. Bring him back with you to your house that he may eat bread and drink water. And then what does it say? Liar! Liar! He didn't say to blave. He said true love. Um. So the, the old prophet is lying. Now, can you be a prophet and lie? I guess so. According to this story, you can, right? You can't be a true prophet. But, but again, it's just because you have a title prophet, we're still supposed to test him, right? We're still, still supposed to check him. So this old prophet was, was, was lying. So the young man believed him. Now, the rest of the story goes on. The young man had the dinner. He did his thing. And then he got on a horse and he, and he started heading back. And guess what happens to the young man? A lion pops out on the road, jumps on the young prophet, and eats him. You think I'm kidding? God don't mess around. Look at what he says, verse 25. And the men passed by the saw and saw the corpse thrown on the road and the lion standing by the corpse. Now, the moral of the story is, should you listen to the prophet or should you listen to the word of God? Now, again, the, the, it's the word of God. 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 All right. I spent entirely too long on that little section. All right. So we're going to jam. Um, let's go to verse number 21. In verse 21, it says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does not, but he who does the will of my father in heaven, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? Verse 23 is one of the, it is not one of, it is the absolute scariest, saddest words that will ever come out of Jesus's mouth for anybody. Now, I know we got a, just a few minutes left. I know you guys have been sitting a while, but this is the most important part of the, the message today. So stay with me for a few more minutes here. And I want you guys to catch this. All right. Um, Jesus says in verse 23, what do you say? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. 
Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So um, in this context of salvation, that all of these all of these different stories are in the same context of salvation. When Jesus says to somebody, depart from me, I never knew you. What are we talking about? What's the elephant in the room? He's talking about hell. Where are they going when Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you? They're going to hell. They're, they're, they're not going to heaven. Again, this is a word you never want to hear. It's two things you're going to hear when, when you meet Jesus. Either depart from me, I never knew you. Or enter into the rest of the Lord. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the rest of thy Lord. And so the, the issue though here is these folks come up to Jesus and they say, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We did good works in your name. We fed homeless people in the name of Jesus. We went to church. We paid tithes in the name of Jesus. And Jesus says to him, sadly, depart from me. I never knew you. So, so the criteria for you and I, you got to catch this. This is heaven and hell. The criteria for you and I to get into heaven, according to if it's true, what Jesus is saying here is, is recognition. It's Jesus knowing who we are. You know, I hear people tell me all the time, I know Jesus. I know, I know God. I read the word. I read my Bible every day, 27 hours a day, 22 days a week. I read my Bible. I know God. I know the good old boy upstairs. I know Jesus. But according to this parable, does he, and it's not a parable. According to this, does he know you? Somebody give me an artist, secular artist, Eminem. If I go to an Eminem concert and I get backstage because I like made a fake badge and I got behind the, crawled under the legs of the big bodyguard and I walk into Eminem's dressing room. And I say, man, I've read every one of your books. I know the lyrics to every one of your songs. I've watched every one of your movies. I know your kids. I know their names. I know their birthdays. Man, I'm your biggest fan. I've followed you. I know absolutely everything about you. And Eminem's looking at me like, what's the first words out of his mouth? Security. Security. Get this dude out of here. He's crazy. Why? Because he doesn't know me. I might know everything there is to know about him in his, in his life, in his ministry, or ministry. <laughs> yeah. Um, his, his work. But let me ask you the same, this question. What if Eminem's 10-year-old son walked in that, living room, walked in that, that dressing room after the show? How's that going to go down? Hey, what's up, buddy? Come here, man. I love you. My son, I know you. You know? I could have had all the credentials and all the information and know everything there was to know. But the issue is knowing and, and, and him knowing us and recognizing us. And, and that's the key. That's the key, key, key. You know, we don't, we don't give again anybody a false sense of salvation. I don't want anybody to be afraid either. But, you know, Jesus is very clear here. Depart from me, I never knew you. I, I, I live. I've given my life so that people don't have to hear those words. Depart from me, I never knew you. It should be a little scary. Scariest thing anybody ever hear. And so how, how do we prevent that? How do we, you know, we know that we know that we know. We, we ask. We, 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 we ask every day. We seek God every day in our lives. We, we know that God knows us, that our names are lit, written in the Lamb's book of life. And again, if, if, if salvation, if you're not sure, it, it's a simple question of, do you know God today? Is there intimacy with the Lord? 
When, when you get there, is he going to recognize you as, as, as his child because you invited him? Or, or is, your, is your relationship with God kind of based on the good old boy thing, the good old man upstairs? You know, God, God, God basically knows I'm good. He, you know, God, God will understand when I meet him. If that's the case, you just might want to ask yourself, do I fit this criteria that Jesus lays out here? Depart from me, I never knew you. And, and it's consistent with salvation through the rest of the scriptures. Salvation is by believing and following Jesus Christ. You know, we, we think John three sixteen, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And look, look what Jesus said in the same chapter in verse, in, in verse number 36 of John chapter 3. Jesus said, he who believes in the son has everlasting life. Pretty cool, right? If you believe in the son, you have everlasting life. And then he said this, and he who does not believe in the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides in him. It says the word, the word believe there, the second believe, he who does not obey, does not follow. Two different Greek words there for believe in verse 35. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, but he who does not obey or follow the Son of God. You know what I say? Good people don't get to heaven. You know who gets to heaven? People that follow Jesus get to heaven. People that know Jesus get to heaven. You know, one of the things in our church, you guys, we're going to close with this. And one more thing and we'll close with this is that, um, you know, we, we, we put a good, big emphasis on the word of God. And rightfully so. Read your Bible and pray every day. We say that in our church all the time, right? Read your Bible and pray every day. Read your Bible and pray every day. But here's my fear. You know, my boys, I, I make them read the Bible every day. We've been doing this as long as they can read. Some people say, well, won't they rebel and hate it? I say, I don't care. <laughs> At least when they're 18, they will have read the Bible for you know, what, but they've been reading since about seven, eight, we've been doing this, right? They've been reading for 11 years every day, reading the Bible for every day for 11 years. And we do our best and try to remember and they forget. And we, you know, I get on them, but I, I definitely don't ever want it to become for them, for you, for me, you know, like, and, and the basic rule is, is that you're not allowed to turn on your phone, to turn on TV, to do anything you want to do until you've read your Bible. And that's supposed to motivate them because they like to play video games. You know, these kids, they, they got really powerful thumbs because they use them a lot. And, um, but if, if they just go through it so they can get to what they want to do. And I just I read it, you know, and it's just a check in the box. So I'm constantly encouraging. Them. I'm saying, listen, why, why, do we, why do I make you? Why do I want you to read your Bible every day? The purpose of it is because so you can get to know the God of the Bible. So you can find Jesus in there. Let me tell you something about the Bible. The Bible is not a book about the Bible. The Bible, listen, the Bible is not even a book of morals. The Bible is not even a book of do's and don'ts. If, if that's why we're going to the Bible for, to get our moral law, to get a set of rules of do's and don'ts, all you're going to be when you're done is legalistic, self-righteous, mad, sucking on lemons, bitter all the time. Listen, the Bible is about Jesus. The word of God is about Jesus. The victory is in Jesus. Salvation is in Jesus and knowing Jesus. And so you should read your Bible and pray every day. But when you read your Bible, if you know what the, you know what the Bible says about this book right here? It's alive. Do you believe that? You think that's just an idiom? Or is this thing really alive? How is it alive? It's, 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 it's letters, ink written on a page. 
It's alive because the spirit of God is alive and in you and moves through it and speaks to you. It's alive because God's spirit uses his words, the words of God to change your life, to pour into your life, to speak truth into your life. This book is alive and it's Jesus. Do you know what Jesus did when he went on the road to Emmaus? When he was on the road to Emmaus post-resurrection, he meets those guys in a glorified body and he, and, he, and he opens, the Bible says, he expounds the scripture to them, beginning at Moses, and showed them all the things concerning himself. Do you realize we didn't have a New Testament that day that Jesus was walking down the road to Emmaus? It was yet to be compiled. And Jesus opened the scriptures and showed them all the things concerning himself. You know if Moses was standing here right here now today? You know what Moses would say about the Old Testament? It's about Jesus. You know what David would say about the Old Testament? It's about Jesus. You know, Solomon would say about the Old Testament, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Daniel, every one of them would say about the Old Testament. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. It's about knowing Jesus. And so, again, you guys, I want us to be people of the word. I want us to be people of good doctrine. I want us to be a people of, you know, sound doctrine. But we're missing it if we don't understand the real catalyst of this Christian walk is one thing. Because everything else is born out of that, and that's to know Jesus personally and intimately. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. Hey, you guys, look at that clock right there. Somebody say, uh -uh, thank you. No, I'm just kidding. Since we got three minutes and you guys are standing. Therefore, Jesus said, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rains descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rains descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell and great was its fall. You know, the last words of read on the Sermon on the Mount was great was its fall and Jesus ended with that. We usually like to end on a positive note on our sermons and here Jesus is, he's leaving the crowd. He says, great was the fall. And he talks about two types of soils that we build on. Now, um, and then he says the winds and the rains came and beat on both houses. And the, 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 the house that was built on the solid rock, it stood. And the house that was built on the sand, it perished when the winds and the rain came. And in, in that story and in the Bible, very simply, Jesus is the rock. And, and Jesus is saying, if we build our house on Jesus, then then when the winds and the rains come and it's talking about, again, in this context of this chapter, it's heaven and hell. That 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 the house that's built upon Jesus and knowing Jesus is going to stand. The one more thing. These two houses that Jesus talks about, one built on the sand and one built on the rock, which one did the rains and the winds hit? The, the wind and the rain could be opposition. It could be Satan. It could be attacks. It could be something negative. Because it's meant to destroy in this story. Things that are meant to destroy your life. And listen, Satan and the attacks and terrible things of life, they come against both lives. But wouldn't you rather have a life that's on the solid rock of Jesus, that when those things come in your life, when Satan comes at your life, that, that you have Jesus and you have that solid foundation? You know, I don't want to hear this nonsense, you know, Satan leaves you alone if you don't follow God. Ugh. Satan's coming after you no matter what. The winds and the rains come. 
But if your house stands on the solid rock, which is Jesus, it's going to stand. Amen? The worship team, uh, they had to skirt out of here today, you guys. So we're not going to have a closing song. But I'm going to close this in prayer. And today's, today's service, and again, Jesus' message, I hope, is, is about salvation. It's about getting right. It's about knowing that you know that you know that you know. And I always, you know, not always, we do it different from time to time, but I, I like to do it publicly and openly because I think that, you know, you, the Bible says you can't be ashamed of Jesus Christ and what's true, that, sal- that, that, that the gospel is the power of salvation for all those that believe. And so if there's anybody here today that wants to get their life right with Jesus, they want to make sure they're a Christian, they want to ask Jesus in their heart for the first time, if you want to get saved today, I'm going to ask you together just to shoot your hand up, hold your hand up just for a second as I look around if there's anybody Anybody? Anybody else? A couple of you? Amen. 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 I see your hands there. Amen. Anybody need to get their lives right with Jesus today? Want to make sure they're born again, they're saved, the house is built on the sand. Anyone else? Anyone else? All right. Listen, salvation is um, it's just a surrender of your heart. So, you know, whether you raise your hand or not, if, 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 you, if you just need to surrender, get your life right with the Lord today, let, let's pray together. Let's close our eyes and bow our head. And let me just pray for you. You just say yes to Jesus if that's you this today. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. And Lord, we, we know that you love us, that you care for us deeply, Lord Jesus, that um, you provide for us. And, and Lord, I've been a Christian for a long time now, and I wouldn't want to be any other place. And I've lived such a blessed life, Lord, such a life of joy, God. And you've taken such amazing care of me. And I thank you for that, Jesus. And I thank you that, um, that your word is true and that, Jesus, you, you, you told the truth because you love people and, and because you care about our eternity. And Lord, I pray for everyone who raised a hand just now, Lord, that, um, Lord that, that they're saying yes to you right now, that you'd come into their life and forgive them of their sins, fill them with your Holy Spirit, that they would become born again right now as we pray and as, we, as, as uh, Lord, as they just say yes to you. I pray for, um, Lord, anyone in here whose heart, Lord, is um, just ready and you've been calling and drawing but just hasn't fully surrendered, that, that even now, Lord, they would be saying yes to you and surrender of their heart and life. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you were clear that there's, there's two roads, one narrow and one broad, and that uh, there's one way, one truth, one life. And, and Father, we, we pray, Lord. We pray for our family and our friends that um, maybe don't know you, Lord. We pray for um, our own lives to be an example of, of Jesus and of love and of what's true. And Lord, I pray for this false doctrine that you taught us about, to beware of false prophets, that God, that each one of us, Lord, would... Um, Little by little, step by step, that we would be growing in you, we'd be reading the word, that, that as we read the word, that we know that it's about Jesus and connecting with you and communing with you, and um, that we don't just read it to check a box, but we read it to know God and to hear from you and from your living word. And Lord, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. God bless you guys. Love you guys. Have a great day.